Welcome to the Iron Intern Podcast, where our goal is to give you everything you need to know about getting into the strength conditioning industry. Hear from coaches all over the country who have been interns and hired interns. Hosted by Parker Ree. Welcome back to the Iron Intern Podcast. Um, we have a special guest today, Alan Stein Jr. Alan, why don't you introduce yourself? Hey guys, I'm Alan Stein Jr. I'm actually a former basketball performance coach and now a current keynote speaker and author, and I'm excited to join you, Parker. So um, one reason I wanted to have Alan on the show was um, when I first got into the field, he was one of the first names given to me. Um, and upon looking him up, I found that he was a former coach, but I'd got into kind of keynote speaking and mental performance, if you will. And um, I've followed him ever since. And a lot of the stuff he puts out is really interesting. I think has some great parallels to coaching and developing yourself in a career. So Alan, kind of talk about what you do as a speaker now and, and what your goals are. Sure. Yeah. You, you actually teed it up brilliantly. I mean, what I do now as a keynote speaker and author is translate all of the messages and lessons and disciplines and routines that I had learned from elite level basketball players and coaches. And I show folks how to apply those now uh, to their lives and, and to their businesses. Um, but it's all done through the lens of a former basketball performance coach. So this whole concept of, of raising your game and improving performance in a specific area is really what I've done my entire career. Now I just do it in a slightly different manner. So instead of being in the weight room or on the court with players trying to get them to raise their on-the-court performance, I now spend more time on stages and in boardrooms helping businesses do the same. So can you speak a little bit about how you got your start um, in the basketball world and the performance world and how you kind of made that transition? Sure. Uh, so basketball was actually my first identifiable passion. I fell in love with the game at probably four or five years old. And now I'm 44 years old. So here four decades later, basketball is still a major passion and a major pillar in my life. Uh, I was able to be a fairly decent public high school player here in DC uh, and then ended up playing down at Elon. Uh, it was Elon College at the time. It's now Elon University and played basketball at Elon. And at the, the end of high school and throughout college, I started to develop an equal love for the performance side, uh, for strength and conditioning and fitness and training. And so when I graduated from Elon in 1998, I thought I'd take my first love of basketball and combine that with my new love of performance training and become a basketball strength and conditioning coach. And that was a wonderful decision. I did that for almost 15 years and had an absolute blast every minute of it. Uh, but then was ready for a new challenge and a new change. And that's why four years ago uh, made the distinct pivot to take everything I had learned there and apply it to a new audience. Okay. So um, I'll give your background a little bit, but Alan worked at um, DeMatha Catholic, which is a, a basketball powerhouse. I'm a firm believer that the, the WCAC is the best high school basketball in the country. And I'm sure Alan would agree. I do. Um, and Montrose Christian as well, um, which is another powerhouse and a great school. Um, really both those schools were ahead of the game, as you will, um, and having a strength coach and it surely paid off and you spoke into the programs and, um, could you talk about what you did there and, you know, how you were part of that culture there and both those schools have tremendous respect within this area. So what was that like? Most certainly. And you're right. Both coaches, um, were innovative and creative enough, uh, to look for an outside voice, look for an outside expert in an, in an area and a niche, uh, that wasn't necessarily in their wheelhouse. You know, Coach Stu Vetter at uh, Montrose and Coach Mike Jones at DeMatha 
recognize the importance of strength and conditioning and, and bulletproofing their players' bodies against injury and improving performance by improving athleticism. But they acknowledged that that wasn't in their wheelhouse of expertise. So they brought in an outsider, uh, which was me, and thankfully never treated me like an outsider. They really uh, allowed me to weave myself into the fabric and the culture of the program. I was basically considered an assistant coach at both programs, even though my um, roles and responsibilities were only strength and conditioning. And yeah, I mean, they, they started to see the results, you know, um, practices and games lost to injury went down significantly and conditioning levels and, and strength and power levels went up uh, in the exact inverse relationship. So they felt great about it. Uh, I was able to, to develop a great relationship and camaraderie with the other staff members and the other coaches and certainly with the players. So it just worked out for all of us. And for me, I'm, I'm so thankful to have been at both programs. Um, one, I got to learn so much about coaching and leadership from both of those outstanding coaches. But I also got to, to get some reps in, if you will, uh, pardon the pun, with some elite level athletes. I mean, the caliber of player that goes to Montrose and DeMatha are future division one and future NBA level players. So I got to kind of hone my craft with kids that were already really, really athletic. And then it was my job just to take them up another tier. And for those of you, you can't see, but Alan kind of has his wall of fame behind him um, with some of the athletes he's worked with and I'll name drop a few, but Kevin Durant is your big one. Um, probably one of the best offensive players in the game ever. Um, but Victor Aldipo and the list goes on and, um, you know, as we're kind of a, a young career development podcast, what are some characteristics that stood out in those young professionals that um, kind of have parallels to young coaches or young businessmen? Well, the best I could advice, the best advice I can give for anyone that's younger, and, and I mean younger to the craft, doesn't necessarily mean you're younger in age. Uh, you could have someone listening right now that's 50, but just starting their journey as a performance coach, and I would still consider them a, a younger coach. Uh, first and foremost is find a way to work on your craft every single day and, and really broaden uh, your vision of what your craft is. You know, many times I think young uh, strength and conditioning coaches spend a little bit too much time thinking about sets and reps and exercises and programming and periodization and testing. Uh, and while that stuff's important, that's not your entire job. You know, a good portion of your job has to do with leadership with communication, with emotional intelligence, with self-awareness. So you have to be reading, watching, and listening and developing those areas as well so that you can be a, a, a well-versed coach. Um, in addition to working on your craft every day, uh, I think young coaches need to realize how important relationships are, that really relationships are the lifeblood of everything that you do. Uh, you have to have relationships, uh, certainly with the coach and the players that you work with, that's vital. Because the better your relationship with them, the more buy-in and believe-in that you'll get and the more requisite trust and, and respect that you'll earn. Uh, but you also have to have relationships with colleagues and coworkers so that you can continually be mentored and grow and, and are always learning from others. So relationships are vital. You know, what really changed for me was when I realized I was actually in the relationship business. Basketball performance training is simply what I did. It wasn't who I was. And that's what's so important. So uh, even though the sets and reps and, and, you know, biomechanics and movement and kinesiology, all of that stuff is very, very important, but it's not everything. So spend time doing a little bit of all so that you can really progress, um, you know, as you, as you matriculate up in the field. But those are the two best of advice to give anyone to the game or younger in the game.
Absolutely. Um, so going back to that, do you remember kind of when you first got on the scene, what are some big mistakes you made, um, both at the math or Montrose, or even now starting out your new career? Well, from a performance standpoint, one of the biggest mistakes I made was I thought that the, the sign of a good workout was somebody pushing themselves to the point where they felt like they were going to vomit or, you know, uh, getting nauseous or they were so sore the next day. Like I was more of a brute force type, high intensity that if you could walk out of the gym, then I probably didn't get you good enough. And that was a, a very immature and naive way to look at strength and conditioning. You know, our whole goal as performance coaches is to be a supplement to and in addition to what they do on the quarter field. And I was actually working in the wrong direction by, by making some of those workouts just way too intense. And I absolutely believe in intensity and I absolutely believe in pushing and hard work. It has nothing to do with things being easy. Uh, but then over time, I learned um, that there was much more value in some other areas, that it wasn't just the brute force and the brute intensity, and that the sign of a good workout is making sure that you made measurable progress uh, towards what you're working towards, not just simply if somebody was super sore. Uh, so that was definitely one of the major ones that, that stuck out. Um, another one, I think my coaching style changed. Uh, very similar to that intensity, you know, when I was younger, I was much more of a drill sergeant, if you will, uh, very loud, very intense. I always had this coach face on, you know, many times would, would even be yelling expletives and, and doing whatever I could because I thought that was the best way to motivate. And over time, I realized that that might work for some people, but that's not the best way to motivate everyone. That as a coach, you have to have the emotional intelligence and enough tools in your toolbox from a communication standpoint that you can be chameleon-like enough to motivate everybody in their way. And, and instead of yelling more, I was able to speak at a softer volume and the kids would listen just as much. So I ended up adding a lot more to my repertoire of communication skills as I got older. But both of those things, I, I don't consider them regrets. I, I consider them the natural rite of passage. You know, at that time in my career, in my early 20s, I was doing the best I could with the skills I had. And, and I thought that that was the best way of doing things. Um, and over time realized that I could really expand my toolbox and, and be much more creative and innovative and, and more comprehensive. So it was all just part of the journey. And I should be a better coach at 44 than I was at 24. And if not, then I just wasted 20 years of my life. So going off of that, you know, actually we hear that a lot as a big mistake that a lot of people make, but as you speak to young coaches and young professionals, are there any common themes of, you know, skills that are missing or skills that need work for younger people? Well, a couple things. One, I, and I, and please know that I'm not painting every young coach with a broad brush. I would never do that, but some generalities and common traits that I see, uh, one is um, they're rather impatient and they want to skip the process. You know, they want to go from just graduating college and think they've earned the right to be working with, say, NBA players immediately. And that's not necessarily the way that it works. Uh, some may be fortunate enough to have an opportunity super early, but most you have to get really good at your craft and you have to do a really good job with whatever athletes you're working with, wherever you are, and you have to earn the right to kind of matriculate up. And, and I'm not implying that if you work with NBA players that you are a better coach than if you work with youth. That has nothing to do with it. The, the level at which you work uh, doesn't necessarily correlate to your acumen and ability as a coach. Um, so I think there has to be some patience. You know, a perfect example would be towards the end of my performance career, 
um, young coaches would reach out and say, you know, Alan, what do I have to do to work the Nike skills academies? And, and I would say, well, you can't emulate what I'm doing now. You have to emulate what I did 10 years ago, which is what earned me the right to be where I am now. So you have to be willing to go back, you know, many steps and then climb that ladder yourself. Now you'll probably be able to climb it a lot faster than I did. Um, but you can't expect to do that now. It's no different than a young basketball player, you know, flipping on the TV and watching KD do this awesome move and then going right out to the court and thinking they can do that awesome move also. It's like, no, KD is, has cemented a foundation of the fundamentals that allow him to do each part of that move and then put the whole thing together like a puzzle. You can't skip all of those steps. Um, so I think the, the impatience is one. Uh, I think too, and, and I don't know if this is as common, but this was definitely a hindrance to myself, uh, was kind of this know-it-all mentality. You know, I find a lot of younger people think they know more than they do. Uh, and then when you get older, uh, you realize how much, not only you didn't know back then, but how much you still don't know now. You know, I know when I was in my early 20s, um, I had basically believed in what was called HIT training, uh, high intensity training. And that philosophy still makes up the core of my belief today. But I was so steadfast in that, that I wasn't willing to entertain or listen to anyone that wasn't you know, in line with my same methodology. And, and that limited a lot of growth and, and time for me to improve. It wasn't until I got older that I realized there is no right answer when it comes to strength and conditioning. There are a million different philosophies that can work. And as long as what you're doing is safe, as long as what you're doing is progressive, and as long as what you're doing works for you and the athletes you work with, then it's fine. And it wasn't until I was older that I realized, you know, hey, here's how I do it. But then here I've got three colleagues that all do it differently. And boy, they're all super successful and doing a great job. So clearly there's lots of ways to be a strength and conditioning coach. So I think remaining open and humble to other ways of doing things is another thing that all young coaches should do. Absolutely. That's great advice. Um, so going back, when you think of all the, the great athletes that you've been fortunate enough to work with, are there any habits that have kind of stuck with you through the years? The first and foremost is the best never get bored with the basics that they, they embrace the fundamentals. They have a strong appreciation and respect for building that foundation that, to which the rest of the house is built upon. So uh, I'll keep using basketball as an example, since that was my love, you know, a basketball player that wants to be great will always work on their footwork and their shooting mechanics and, and the skills of the game. Same thing from a strength and conditioning standpoint, you know, really until your players have ma mastered basic movements uh, like a squat or a lunge or a, a push up or a plank position or a pull up or a dip or whatever you believe the core movements are, you know, until they can show um, perfect control and stability over those movements, you really shouldn't be progressing to anything flashier or sexier. So you have to constantly work on those. I mean, I would say every single day at Damatha, we did something that worked on primary movements, you know, whether it was skipping and running or sliding, uh, whether it was a lunge or a squat or jumping mechanics or landing softly, like whatever the handful of things that I believed at the time were the most important, we did those things every single day and we never abandoned them. So that's probably the most important trait uh, of all high performers. And then the next I kind of mentioned earlier is being confident, but still having the humility to be open to coaching and that even, even if you're great, even if you're an all-star level player, or even if you're a performance coach in the NBA, you still can get better. You still can improve. 
So stay open to coaching, stay open to feedback, and always stay open to growing. Okay. Um, so we're going to shift more into the basketball world, but Alan's had the opportunity to talk to a variety of great basketball coaches. And, you know, one thing that comes in when you talk about basketball coaches is the word culture. How do you get a culture to fall down from the head coach to the players, to the managers, to everybody in the organization? Culture ultimately is just perfect alignment between beliefs and behavior. So most coaches talk about what they want the culture to be and that, you know, we've got these standards and, and this is what we believe in, but then their behavior has to actually match that because how your team, your players and coaches uh, actually behave on a daily basis, that's what your culture is. Uh, I think the best way to uh, optimize culture is how does your team behave when the head coach isn't around or the, in this case, the strength coach. You know, if you've got 15 basketball players in the weight room and, and you decided not to show up for a workout one day, but you were just going to casually stand outside and peek through the window, how would those players behave in your absence? You know, would, would some of them run up to the whiteboard and write out a workout that you would have designed and then help coach each other through it? Uh, would they have still had great communication and used great form and, and done those things? Or would they just leave and say, hey, coach isn't here. I'm out of here. Or, oh, thank God coach isn't here. Now we can do whatever we want. You know, those things are a testament to the culture. And, and clearly, if you have a strong winning culture, uh, some of the folks would ex exercise some leadership and would step up and would try to emulate what you would do with them. Now, clearly, if, if you're a professional, uh, a group of kids is not going to be able to emulate what you do, but they'd certainly try, and that would speak volumes of their culture. Um, so really, it's that alignment between behave, behavior and, and belief, and then it's the experience that everyone has. It's, it's how does your program make them feel? You know, you can talk all the time about, you know, respect is one of the standards we have in this culture, but if you have several players that don't feel that, they feel that you often disrespect them, then you don't have a culture of respect. So it's a matter of what you believe aligning with how you actually behave. And you've gotten to speak to some great coaches. Um, I know Coach K is one of your favorites. I know you spoke with Jay Wright. Um, Villanova certainly has a culture about themselves, Tom Izzo. What are some things that have stuck out with them? And you kind of see these parallels between all these big-time coaches. Well, for the most part, uh, that's a, a wonderful question because it kind of summarizes everything we've talked about so far. I mean, in those programs, they're very relationship driven. You know, Coach Wright and Coach K and Coach Izzo have great, strong relationships with each of their players and each of their folks on their staff. They believe in the basics. So every portion of uh, a portion, excuse me, of every practice is dedicated to the fundamentals and working on shooting, passing, rebounding, defending and handling the ball. Um, you know, they're confident in themselves and their teams, but they have a humility about them. So the team's always looking to grow and improve. They're very open and honest with feedback and holding each other accountable. So really, it's, it's kind of a combination of, of everything we've discussed so far. So like you said earlier, you're an Elon alum. And actually, the last podcast I did was Cameron Ringstead, who's the uh, head sports performance coach at Elon Basketball. And you said love, that you love think Cameron. Yeah, you think Elon is kind of poised for success and right on the cusp of, of great success. And, you know, when you've gone down there, what are some things that you've seen that point in that direction? Well, Cameron does a terrific job uh, with the basketball programs there. And uh, Coach Mike Schragi, who's the head coach now of Elon's basketball team, is a brilliant leader, uh, has an amazing resume and pedigree uh, from a coaching standpoint. And he immediately uh, started creating a winning culture when he got there. And, you know, for the most part, culture precedes success. Like you have to create the culture first, and then that's going to give you your results, which they're hoping is a conference championship 
uh, and, and a date to March Madness. Um, it's not the other way around. It's not you start winning and then all of a sudden you have a good culture. Uh, so it's no chicken and the egg here. Clearly, uh, culture comes first, and, and Coach has done a tremendous job with that. So, yeah, I believe um, with all of the pieces in place. I mean, Elon is a beautiful campus. Uh, Elon's new basketball arena is as good as anyone's in the country for a school of that size. Um, coach Shragi is a brilliant coach who knows how to develop players. You know, I know at Elon's level, you're not going to find very many one-and-done players or, or two-and-done players most players that play at Elon will play for four years, but how much they'll develop at four years is absolutely off the charts. So, so you could come there, you know, as a decent recruit and you could absolutely leave Elon as a bona fide pro player that, that could get drafted and play in the NBA. That's how good they do at developing. And because they have their priorities in order and they've created a winning culture, uh, not only will folks leave Elon as better basketball players, but they'll leave them as better young men They'll, they'll, be, they'll leave them as, as just better human beings. And I absolutely believe with every ounce of my being that Elon um, will be in the, the running for a conference championship uh, for many, many, many years to come. So we've talked kind of the key success for running a program. What are your keys to success and why do you think you've been successful thus far? They're really the same. You know, uh, all of this stuff that I suggest for everybody else is the exact same medicine that I take myself. You know, I make sure that I work on my craft as a speaker every single day. Perfect example is doing a podcast like this. Now, granted, this is not my typical keynote stick, but this is still me practicing the craft of articulating my thoughts and, and my, my vision and what I believe. Uh, it's giving me an opportunity to share my passion with anyone that's kind enough to listen. And, and that really fills my bucket. So um, everything that I shared from working on the basics to uh, developing strong relationships to staying open and humble to coaching. Everything I've shared thus far are all the exact same things that I put into practice myself. And that's why I enjoy my work so much is it holds me to a higher standard. You know, if I'm going to be on here preaching to everyone listening that they should be doing these things, well, then I better be doing them as well. Because I certainly know as a coach, the, the, the mindset of do as I say, not as I do, will undermine your credibility immediately. I make sure that I walk the walk, that I talk the talk. Absolutely. Um, so for a lot of young coaches out here, they're applying for jobs that are few and far between. What, um, what tips do you have for someone trying to get into the industry and not just getting in, but you know, when it comes to resumes, when it comes to interviews, you know, how do you impress someone um, that you're looking to work for? Well, first is you need to do as much due diligence as possible for wherever you're going to apply. You need to know everything you can about the school, uh, the organization, um, the, the coaching staff, the players, the history. I mean, the more you can know, then the, the more chameleon-like you can be to make sure that you're a good fit. And, and that's a big part of it. You know, make sure you're only applying to places where you do believe you'd be a good fit. You know, uh, I'm sure if you take there's 340-ish Division one programs in the United States uh, in college, you know, so let's just say someone wanted to be a basketball performance coach. There's only 340 jobs out there. Um, I can't imagine that you'd be a good fit for all 340 of them. Um, maybe not. Maybe some cultures are, are more your cup of tea and others not. So do your homework first. And then second, just remember, it's not about you. It's about them. You have to figure out how do you add value to that program or to that culture or to that staff. You know, try not to think so much. And this is so hard to do. 
Try not to think so much about, hey, me, me, me. This is what I have to offer. This is why I'm so good. This is my training program. This is my belief system. Those things will come, but it needs to be more of what are you looking for? What, what, what are some of the issues you've had in the past um, that I might be of help? You know, uh, some coaches might be much more concerned with injury reduction than they are with improving size and strength. Well, it's important that you know that because if what they care about is reducing ankle injuries and you just go in there talking about how strong you're going to get their players in the bench press, you've clearly missed the mark. So it's really important to, to do your homework. Um, and then next is just be patient. Again, uh, the chance of you graduating college and the next day being able to apply for a job for an NBA team and get that job um, might be tough, but you might be able to get a job at a local high school and really start building your coaching philosophy and get better at your craft. And then maybe there's an opportunity to go to a college or a junior college. And then maybe, you know, so be, be prepared to work your way up that ladder. Um, and that, I'm not saying that that's going to take 25 years. It could only take two or three but you just have to make sure that you star where you are first instead of always having one foot out the door trying to go somewhere better. Okay. Um, so a big part of what you talk about is being a great leader, but also being a good team player. Um, and what do you think makes a great teammate? Uh, very, very easy is to answer the question. Are you the type of teammate that you want to play with? You know, when, when, when someone sits and thinks, you know, what do I expect my teammates to do? You know, I want my teammates to be uh, enthusiastic and supportive and I want them to work hard. Okay. Well then you be enthusiastic, supportive, and you work hard. You need to model the behavior that you want to see and expect of everyone else. So it, it's vital um, that in order uh, to be a great teammate, you have to have clarity on what that means. And then you have to live that out. Uh, many times, unfortunately, we expect other people to do things that we won't do. And, and that, again, is going to undermine your credibility as a teammate. And, and the other part that's so nice is, you know, you have a lot more control over being the best teammate than you do over being the best player, you know, so, or, or the best coach. So everyone should aim to be the best for the team, not necessarily the best on the team. So here's a question. Do you have a teammate that you remember or maybe a staff member that you remember who you worked with that, um, that really stuck out to you and that um, whose habits really kind of have formed the, the standard for people you work with in the future? Oh, I have tons. I mean, I, I've been surrounded by amazing teammates my, my whole career. Uh, one that jumps out is my younger brother. My younger brother, Jeremy, uh, is three and a half years younger, but he's basically my digital ninja. Uh, he does all of my video uh, production and editing and my podcast and helps me design social graphics and schedule stuff uh, for social posts. And he manages my email list. You know, he's, he's such an unsung hero because he's behind the scenes. Everything he does for me, who's kind of the face of my business. Um, he's the one that kind of provides that foundation and support and he's a consummate teammate. Uh, he never takes things personal. You know, if, if he sends me a graphic and, and I send it back with nine revisions to make, uh, he doesn't get in his feelings and complain about it. He just makes the changes and we move on. Uh, and we've worked hard to develop a rhythm and a communication between each other so that we know that. And yeah, he does an absolutely phenomenal job as kind of the guy behind the scenes in, in what I do. And, and he's great playing that role. Uh, he's fine knowing that he does a lot of the stuff um, and doesn't necessarily get the outward credit that maybe I receive, but I know he's responsible for it. So I make sure to go out of my way to, to show him appreciation. Some great parallels between sports there, and that's kind of all you do. So we can expect more of that. But um, 
So who are some of your mentors when you look back in your career? Once again, that's going to be a pretty vast list because I'm, I'm so thankful that I've had so many people uh, reach out and show support and pour into me and teach me stuff and give me opportunities. I mean, uh, every coach I've ever played for has shaped me in some way. Uh, they've either shaped me in a positive way of I want to emulate what they're doing or they've taught me in the opposite way of, hey, I don't ever want to be like that. But either way has, has been influential in developing my own coaching philosophy and conviction. So, yeah, I have had so many people along the way uh, that have helped. And um, that's not necessarily by accident. You know, part of that's by design. You know, I make sure that, that I seek out people um, that I believe have something to help me with and pour into me. And, and, and I want them to be a mentor. But instead of just asking them to mentor me or calling them up and just saying, hey, can I pick your brain? You know, that's very one-sided. That's very, hey, can you take time out of your day to give me? I need, give, give, give me. Instead, I want it to be the other direction. When I find someone that I believe can add value to me, the first thing I want to figure out is how can I add value to them? What can I do to throw them an assist and, and add value to their life? And then inevitably, they'll more than likely want to help me. And I don't do that with any hidden agenda. I don't do it with any pressure or expectation. This is not me reaching out to you, Parker, and saying, hey, man, I did you a solid. Now you owe me. No, it's just simply if I do right by you and I keep doing things to help you, inevitably just human nature dictates you'll more than likely want to return the favor at some point. That's great. And that's a great, um, a great easy change that anyone can make. So here's another question. What are some other changes that you know, we can make in a day that will help optimize our performance? A lot of performance has to do with your daily routine and your habits. So I think everyone needs to examine their morning and their evening routine. You know, what they do on the bookends of the day. Uh, how do you spend the first 60 minutes when you wake up? And how do you spend the last 60 before you go to bed? And just make sure that whatever you're doing there, because there is no right or wrong, just make sure that's in alignment with who you're trying to become or what you're trying to achieve. So I don't think there is a, there's one a time that everybody should wake up. And I don't think there's one thing everyone should do the moment their feet hit the floor. I think each person needs to figure that out, but just make sure that it's in alignment with the person that you're trying to become or the goals that you're trying to achieve. And so you're very big on habits and um, you talk about the habits that you keep and most of them aren't about, about the actual habits, but just kind of the process of, you know, sticking with them. And how important do you think habits are and, you know, forming that routine for success? Our habits are everything. I mean, you show me anybody right now at this moment, they are a, a culmination of the habits they have and the decisions they've made. Um, that's what all of us are. I mean, it's a running tab. And it's our habits that ultimately dictate our success, our fulfillment, our performance, uh, our happiness. You know, it's not the things we do occasionally. It's the things we do routinely that will determine that. So our habits are everything. Uh, so obviously, we want uh, to fill our buckets with as many positive habits as we can and pour out as many negative habits. And, and just know that nobody's perfect. No one's batting a thousand. You know, there's nobody out there that has, you know, a hundred percent perfect habits and, and no bad habits. Uh, the goal is just trying to get them to heavily skew in, in favor of being positive for you. So we'll switch gears a little bit and this might be a little different for you because you've since kind of left the industry, but um, usually I ask people, um, if they have anyone that young coaches should reach out to, is there anyone in the business world or the coaching world or the basketball world that you think, um, could really benefit, um, younger people and younger coaches? You know, a specific name doesn't jump out to me. I think that's for each 
uh, person to decide. Um, you know, I think instead of just thinking generally, you know, maybe think of, of a specific trait, you know, is, is if they're trying to improve communication, uh, who's somebody that they think is really excellent at communicating, um, either through written word or spoken word or coach, uh, maybe reach out to them. But just generally speaking, just try to take advantage of every opportunity you can. You know, if, if you're a young strength and conditioning coach, um, you know, I guarantee you there's three or four schools or teams or organizations within a few miles of you that you could potentially go in and observe or even ask if you can volunteer to help or uh, ask if, um, you know, would that coach be, uh, you know, open to answering a few specific questions that you have. And that's the difference, you know, instead of reaching out and saying, you know, hey, my name's so-and-so, I was just wondering if I could pick your brain. If you reach out and say, hey, you know, I've, I've studied your work, I love your philosophy, I found two articles here that I think you'll find are helpful, and I had one or two questions I'd love to ask you and get your input on uh, at your convenience. Like, they basically mean the same thing, but I can tell you as someone that receives a lot of those types of inquiries, I'm much more likely to help someone that, that reached out uh, in the latter. Okay, that's a great answer. Um, and I'm gonna flip that same question on you. Is there anyone that you haven't talked to, but you really like to? Hmm. No one's jumping out. You know, I mean, certainly there, there have been some authors and some people I've, I've read that I would love to have a chance to, to meet them in person. Uh, there's so many high performers out there that I would love to just be a fly on the wall and learn more about what makes them tick. You know, and, and this crosses all boundaries. I mean, whether it's somebody like Tom Brady uh, or Jay-Z or Warren Buffett, I know that I could learn so much from those folks uh, if I had an opportunity to sit down and just ask them tons of questions. But I also realize that, that even at my current level, I haven't earned the right to do that yet. I still need to figure out how could I add more value to Tom Brady, to Jay-Z, and to Warren Buffett before that would ever even take place. And, and in the meantime, have I read, watched, and listened to as much stuff that they've put out as possible? Because that's another thing that's really important. You know, if if, I, if I'm going to ask someone a question and it exposes the fact that I've not done any research on them, that's not a good thing. Now, you've handled this excellent. You've asked brilliant, insightful questions. I can tell that you did your homework. Uh, and that's why I'm, I'm enjoying this so much. But I just think that's you know, super duper important. Um, because, and it's okay to not know certain things. But I'll have players reach out all the time and they'll say, you know, hey, Alan, I, I love following you on social. I, I devour everything you put out, you know, hey, what's a good vertical jump program for me? And I'm like, well, if you've been following me on social, you'll know I haven't trained anyone in four years. Like I, that's not what I do now. And, and now they might've already known that and they didn't word their question the best way, uh, but that kind of shows a disconnect. And it's like, well, now you're being a little deceitful because you're acting like you're following everything I'm saying. And yet clearly by your question, you haven't been paying that close attention. So I would much rather someone reach out and say, hey, Alan, I know you haven't done any training in four years, um, but I still thought you might be able to help me with this. What do you think? Or I know you don't do any training anymore, but do you have any colleagues that might be able to help me out? I will always bend over backwards to help people. I consider myself a, a servant leader and I want to help folks. And, and for the record, even when people reach out to say, can they pick my brain or can you design a vertical jump program? I never ignore them. I still respond and I try to find a way to help them get some resolution uh, because I, I always want to serve people and will always be indebted uh, to folks in the strength game, uh, in the coaching world and, and anyone in between. So often I ask um, if anyone has any networking do's and don'ts and you've kind of just given out a few, but anything else that sticks out and making connections with people? 
No, really, the whole key to networking is just being able to provide value. If you put enough value out there in the world, you'll attract the type of people that you want to attract. And that's one of the beautiful parts about social media. I mean, I didn't have social media for the first half of my career, so it was a lot more old school. Now you actually, everyone listening to this has a platform to put out quality content that is of value to others and service of others. So it's not, hey, look at me. It's, hey, I'm here to serve you. Um, and that will attract the type of people that you want to attract. And also don't make the mistake of thinking that the size of your audience is what's most important. It's not. It's the, the quality and the integrity and the loyalty of your audience that's what's most important. You might only have 100 followers, but if those 100 followers really want to learn from you and hear from you and, and add value to you, that's way better than 10,000 empty followers who could not care less. So we'll kind of switch it up. We'll go into more of a speed round. Um, but what is the last book you've read? Uh, last book I read, um, Talking with Strangers by Malcolm Gladwell. It was actually an audio book, uh, so I didn't actually physically read that one, but it was tremendous. Okay. What's your current favorite podcast? Hmm. Uh, I've been listening a lot to Dax Shepard, Armchair, uh, Armchair Expert, which – I don't know that it would add that much value to folks in the strength game, but he has all sorts of fascinating um, people, uh, actors and musicians and people on, and he just has a candid conversation, but really finds out what makes them tick. So I find that one really fascinating. Okay. And who's your favorite athlete of all time? Uh, Michael Jordan, without question. You've been watching the last dance. I most certainly have been yeah. <laughs> loving every second of it. I'll ask you going off of that or anything what sticks out about, you know, the 90s Bulls and the culture they had there? Um, and what do you think people can, can take note of from them? Uh, I believe Jordan really matured and became a much better teammate as he got older and got more experience. Uh, I think uh, when he first started with the Bulls, he felt the responsibility and weight of doing everything himself. And he got easily frustrated when people wouldn't work at his level or have his same level of commitment. And I think as he got older, uh, he grew to appreciate that, that people um, had not necessarily different levels of motivation, but they had different roles and they saw the world differently. And he started to trust his teammates a lot more. You know, I think in his first few seasons, he felt the need to take every game winner. Then over time, he said, you know, if I'm double teamed, I can pass it out to Kerr and he'll knock it down. Or I can kick it over to Scotty and he'll hit it. I think he started to gain more trust in his teammates, which is clearly a great way to improve the team dynamic because can you imagine if the greatest player in the history of the world trust you to make the game winning shot like that would really be a confidence builder that's awesome um definitely and for those who haven't watched the last dance definitely do so there's a lot of great stories in there and great parallels um for high performance um but that's all i got for today Alan. awesome stuff man it was so nice to chat with you i, I appreciate you very much you asked wonderful questions and it was great to connect Thank you. And I appreciate you. You know, um, for those of you who don't know, Alan gets paid to do this a lot for him to take an hour of his day and speak to me for free and, and pass on the knowledge is really, really something. So I appreciate that, Alan. Um, and my pleasure. Hopefully and I'll we'll say if, oh, Go we ahead. will. I'm sure, man. I was just going to say if, if anyone's interested in more information, uh, I do have a book called Raise Your Game and you can go to raiseyourgamebook.com if that's of interest. Uh, you can pick it up on Amazon or if you want to hear more of my voice, I also did the read. You can pick it up on Audible or iTunes. And then if anyone else needs something from me, you can just go to allensteinjr.com or I'm at allensteinjr on Instagram and Twitter and love social interaction. So uh, if anything uh, resonated during this chat and you want to continue the discussion, just drop me a line on social. 
And I'll go one further. Alan runs his own podcast that is far more successful than mine, but um, the Razor Game podcast. And he's had phenomenal guests on there. Jay Wright, Mark Cuban, um, Gary V. So definitely check that out. And uh, Alan, I appreciate it. My pleasure. You have a great rest of your day, Parker. Thank you. You too.